evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees, their multicultural mess and secular scam. Thank you so much for joining me today, my friends. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are, because the weekend is upon us. And thank you so much for all your time you take to support me and my podcast. We had so many calls, uh, listens yesterday, and we're really, really very grateful. So today we're talking about the Kutub Minar. Okay, the Kutub Minar is supposedly an Islamic monument, but it is not. Okay, how do we know that? Um, now, we know the official story, so we're going to go into this today, just briefly, and then you can do the, um, you can do the rest, okay? Um, how do we know what the Qutub Minar is? Okay, so briefly, I will also ask you to go to my Facebook page, Dalit is Hebrew. You will see two pictures on the top for um, pretty much in the beginning for um, two minars. Okay, a minar, sorry. Um, you, not, the, uh, not the Qutub Minar. We'll have another Minar in, in Afghanistan. I want you to pull up the Qutub Minar on your Google and take a look at this Minar in Afghanistan. We're going to compare, okay? So the Qutub Minar officially uh, was built, supposedly built by the first Islamic ruler of North India, Qutub, Qutub uh, Din Aibak. Qutub Din Aibak. Um, now, there are many proofs, but neither have um, but neither have proved uh, concurrence, uh have been proved right. Okay, um, he was there only for four years. Uh, you know, when you come into a land, you go to a land. Say you go as an immigrant to the land. Are you going to have money? How uh, you have the confidence? You have the power? You have security? Uh, do you can you form alliances enough to? to make peace with the people, to start building, just like four years. Four years is not enough for anything to build or even commence a majestic structure. You have to build bonds with the local in the land of the lands. You have to win their, their confidence. You have to win their security. You have to um, form alliances. You have to form a, uh, you have to make a place to stay. Um, you have to take over and, and make sure that you have the support of the locals. You can't just build something like that. A tiny four-year window to build or even commence and a majestic structure is not possible. So uh, associating this with Kutubuddin uh, Aibak was a mistake. It is wrong. Um, so many names have been given to this. Okay, many names have been given to this um, minar. Um, it is sometimes called, um, this minar was first originally had a, a, a Hindu and Jain temple complex with 27 Hindu temples and, twin, and, and Jain temples in the area. So it's definitely not uh, an Islamic monument. It was a Hindu area, uh, a Dharmic area, and it was, um, and this area dates to Ashok, because we have King Ashoka, because we have the Ashok pillar over there. Um, it's supposed to be the world's tallest rubble um, masonry minaret, and it's a World Heritage Site in Delhi. It's situated within the Qutub 
complex, which is the center of the first city of Delhi since the first Muslim ruler stepped here. Well, they say that Delhi is an Islamic city. Delhi is not an Islamic city. It goes back far, far back. Um, uh, before Muhammad bin Sam, uh, Muhammad Ghori, defeated Prithviraj Chauhan, this, la this land was with the Tomar Rajput. And this is what is very important to say today. The Tomar Rajput and the Chauhans. Uh, Arkapal gave it to his grandson Prithvi. Chauhan um, extended the walls of the Lal Court to create the Killa Rai Pitora. Gori left his governor Kutubidin uh, Aidak to rule India after defeating Prithviraj Chauhan in 1060 AD and thus the slave dynasty uh, started in India. This is a huge minar in the heart of the city which most people attribute to the first Islamic ruler of North India, Kutubidin uh, Aidak. But it was not true. So remember, this land was occupied by the Tomar Rajputs before uh, and the Chauhans before the Islamic invaders came into this country. Now, that is Delhi for you and it could go back even further during Ashoka's time because we know... Um, we know very well that uh, we have the Ashoka pillar there. Uh, so when I say the Islamic invaders, this dynasty that ruled the Islamic dynasty is called the Malmuk Sultan um, Altamash um, dynasty. They are also the slave dynasty. I hope I got that correct. Um, they, they destroyed the, um, the Hindu temples uh, to obtain apparently to obtain stone and raw material for their mosque. But the temples existed much before Gori came. So my, my question is, when you, you break a monument, you think the, 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 um, the stone is going to remain intact? No, the stone is also going to break. So how are you going to build a monument with broken stone and in perfect size and in perfect dimensions? You could make bricks. Bricks are made. You could make, you can cut the stones from, from a quarry. It is much easier to cut the stones from a quarry than use original bricks. But why do they say it? They say it so that you cannot, uh, you, you, even if you go back and validate it and, and carbon date it or carbon date materials on the stone, you will never find um, you will never find a date because it'll go back so far. They'll say, see, see, we told you it goes back so far because it's, it, we use the old stone so you can never validate it. So it's the same lie told again and again and again. But no one b breaks a mosque or breaks a monument to use the stone. People don't do that, okay, in the old days because it takes time to destroy something. It takes time to undo it. It takes time to rebuild the the foundation, then recut the stone, you might as well cut the stone from the quarry in the first place. Because you cannot use broken stone like that. You have to use, you have to use, you have to re, 
dimension, refix the dimensions of the stone. You just can't use it like that. Might as well go to a quarry. And besides, there's so much of place already over there. There's so much of land available. There was not any problem with the land. There was no mafia. There was there was no uh, city Delhi, uh, you know, city uh, laws. There was nothing. You could build anywhere you want. There was so much of land, and there were no people in those days. So why did he choose to build? only in a place where there were Hindu temples because they just wanted to show, they took it over, they wanted to show their power of the invaders. And so they take over something, rebrand it. Uh, and then after they say, oh no, it's us. But, but this is very, very important. Okay. Um, to understand that the original of the Kutub Minar, before this was a Kutub uh, this was built. Um, we know that this land was ruled by Tomar, by Rajput. Now, who was there before them? Okay. Remember, don't forget the Maurya Empire. Uh, we're just going to go briefly into this empire. The Maurya Empire lasted from about approximately 322 uh, BCE until uh, 184 BCE. Okay, um, and that's the Maurya kingdom. Uh, they didn't call themselves Maurya. There were other words for it. Okay, uh, but they're mentioned in many, many uh, books, the Puranas, the Buddhist, Buddhist texts, Jain texts, uh, Tamil Sangam literature, uh, Kuntala inscription in North Mysore. So they're, they're there. Uh, prior to that, they had the Nanda Empire, um, ruled over broad swat, swat of the Indian subcontinent. Uh, it was a very large um, empire um, due to the conquering of Mahajanapadas, which is, I think, Buddhist. Um, so you had this empire, the Maurya Empire, from 322A approximately BCE to 187, 188 BCE. Now, all this that was ruled was from Afghanistan beyond Kandahar all the way down to what is modern day, uh, little just before Tamil Kingdom, uh, Kerala's and South India, the Indian tip, the tip of the subcontinent. So their influence was going to be all over this land. It belonged to the Maurya Empire. The Maurya Empire then came down. Uh, you had other empires during this time. And then... Um, and then we had the Gupta Empire, very important Gupta Empire to know. Okay, uh, the Gupta Empire lasted from um, yes, so the Gupta Empire lasted from about mid fourth century BC and ended about mid sixth century BC. That's very important to know. So you have another empire which is an off with region which then takes over their influence, their, their time, their, um, their architecture and everything. And the Gupta Empire stretched from north-central parts of southern India 
north, central and parts of southern India between, like I said, mid-4th uh, century to mid-6th century. Um, and it's noted for its achievements in architecture, sciences, religion and philosophy. It started with Chandragupta I, a rapid expansion of the Gupta Empire and soon established itself as the first, as the sovereign ruler of the empire. Um, it it also brought to an end of of domination of provincial powers resulting um, resulting from the fall of the Mauryan Empire. So as the Mauryan Empire fell, uh, you know, their empire broke into several parts because they broke in from several parts. Uh, they formed small provincial kingdoms and, and uh, Mahajanapadas. And from there, uh, the, the Gupta Empire came back and, and took over uh, these kingdoms and formed a new empire. Um, more importantly, it, it was a period of overall prosperity, growth, architecture, science. It continued the next two and a half centuries, which became to be known as the golden age of India's history. Uh, So um, not much is known of these days, of, the, of this, this time, uh, but travel diaries and writing of Buddhist monks who frequented this part of the world are the most trustworthy source of information. Uh, the Gupta Empire, during the rule of Sri Gupta, um, that's from 240 to 280, compromised only of Magad and, and probably part of Bengal. Like the Mauryas and other Magad kings who preceded them, the Sri Gupta um, rule from Pataliputra close to modern day Patna, um, and, um, and, and then it went on expanding from there. So you had uh, the Gupta kings the, from the Kushans, the Gupta kings learned about cavalry and um, you know, architecture, uh, military, and all of the above. Um, and one king that comes to mind of this time is called Samudra Gupta. Um, so after conquering North India, uh, Samudra Gupta, but Samudra Gupta turned his eyes to southern India um, and added a portion of its empire by the end of the southern campaign. Um, it is generally believed that during this time, the Gupta Empire spanned from the Himalayas in the north to the mouth of the Krishna and Godavari rivers in the south, from bulk in Afghanistan in the west to the Brahmaputri river in the east. Um, so that's important, my friend. From Samudra, from uh, bulk in Afghanistan in the west. Uh, so remember this. First you had the Maurya Empire, then you had the, um, the Gupta Empire. Okay, uh, very, very important. Samudra Gupta was very attentive to Raj Dharma, the Raj Dharma duties of the king, and took special care to follow Kautalya's Arthashastra in economic, social, and political treaties that had clear instructions about how a monarchy should be governed. He donated large parts of his um, sums and money for various philanthropic purposes, including portion of edu for education. He was an able administrator, he was a poet, musician, he had many gold coins that circulated. Um, 
Um, so basically, um, this is very, very important to know. So all these places had uh, the influence of the Mauryan and the Gupta kings. Now, the Gupta Empire comes to an end in 550 AD. Why 550? Why this figure is so important? It's the same figure, it's the same date that the Roman kingdoms come down. The Western, um, the Western Euro, uh, Roman Empire comes down. You have Chinese uh, empires coming down. You had um, the Persian Empire comes down slowly after that. In this time is when you have also a little after 550, I think 560, around 560 uh, AD, uh, Muhammad is born the prophet Muhammad. You have kingdoms, the Maya kingdoms and the native kingdoms of Central America, Mexico coming down during this period. Why is it important and why am I telling you this? Because there was a very big earthquake fall called the 536 AD earthquake, uh, volcanic eruption. Um, it, we, it was so huge that it, 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 uh, the volcanic ash from this uh, volcano uh, was 40, uh, 40 million times the atomic bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, 40 million, they say. And its ash went so high in the air, it left traces in Antarctica, Greenland, Norway, uh, and all these places. Uh, they don't know where the volcanic eruption was, but it was so huge that the ashes reached the clouds and formed a volcanic winter that englobed the entire planet. Yes, my friend, it was like a huge uh, cloud, um, a global cloud of ash that would have lasted a couple of years forming acidic, uh, forming, forming acidic rain. That means um, no sun can get through because no sun can get through you have no uh, you know have no oxygen well you have oxygen but no light coming uh, no oxygen for your crops to grow the crops fail you have famine you have disease you have pandemics like just like you have the covid pandemic you would have had a volcanic winter with a pandemic englobing the entire planet and recently like i said i've spoken about this before um, they have researchers have found this out because the Barks of the trees from this air, air era show that their tree rings have no space in between them during these particular years, and they found these barks of the trees um, in 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 Europe, and they realized there was a problem when. And when they found it was a problem, many other trees in Europe showed the same signs, meaning there was some catastrophic event that happened. Uh, they dug into the earth, they dug into the ice in the Arctic, and they found ash layers, uh, layers of ash. And it was confirmed that this was a volcanic eruption. They don't know where, but they know it was global. As a result of this, uh, empires came down. The Gupta Empire came down. You have Chinese empires coming down. European empires coming down. You had Mexican uh, um, kingdoms of this time uh, coming down. And one of the empires that would have come down because of famine, because of disease, because of pandemics, because of, uh, um, you know, um, 
people dying, uh, loss of life, the food chain being destroyed was the Gupta Empire. Now, when the Gupta Empire comes down, all its area and territory that it has has now lost its power and they form individual kingdoms. They are weak, okay? And all their architecture is taken over by individual kingdoms. And over time, these kingdoms change, change, evolve, been taken by other kingdoms. And remember, from 550 onwards, we have never had stability in this country. This country, the Indian subcontinent, has come down to its, uh, its knees, literally. We have been on a slow descent since 1550, like currents and waves. Go to the ocean, and what do you see? You see waves. Currents and currents and currents and currents on waves. Uh, it is important to understand this. Uh, it never ends. Until you remove the dirt from the ocean, you clean the ocean, clean the waves, clean the beach. And slowly by slowly, you will see the bottom of the ocean. But we're not seeing it because we don't understand the history and we're not cleaning. So similarly, this huge volcanic current, a cosmic event, would have caused a, ma caused a massive shift in the axe of the planet, causing cosmic tsunamis. Cosmic tsunamis are like frequencies. Do you see frequencies? We are all frequencies. So our frequency would have lost its central axe. It would have been shaken and would have caused ripple and ripple, ripple effects across the planet, the globe. And, and this would have caused... Um, uh, um, a, dis a distortion in our in our uh, axe in our uh, chakras, uh, and this went out of sync. Okay, because we humans are metaphysical fields; we are frequencies, otherwise called cymatic frequencies. And these frequencies are cosmic. It doesn't move like so fast as the ocean currents. It takes seventy-two years to move one degree. Our frequencies, our chakras, take seventy-two years. So that's how it's moving. But this axe, this volcanic event, would have broken. Would have hit the axe. It was a moved. It would have moved and. Um, cause a distortion in the climate, distortion in the frequencies of the planet, and distortion in the flora and fauna and the life. And that takes hundreds, if not thousands of years to completely come to uh, an end. The whole karmic circle it takes. And we are coming to that point right now. So like currents and waves, slowly by slowly, a tsunami will come to the ocean and it will finally die down. And this is where we're seeing it right now. But we have been in this tsunami, this volcanic cosmic tsunami that has taken its toll and we have slowly been on the descent for the last 2000 years since 550. The last empire to be there to exist before 550 was the Gupta Empire and all their art and architecture was taken over by the individual kingdoms that formed after its descent. And besides the individual kingdoms on the Arabian coast, we also had the Roman Empire, we now came down. We had the Persian Empire who was fit, fighting with the Byzantines. They came down, they were taken over by the uh, Islamic invaders. And the same Islamic invaders, Islamic kingdoms that were formed Within a hundred years, they came into the Indian subcontinent, this side, and by 711, they had invaded um, um, Sindh. 
and the Sindh was very much in, in, in uh, the control of the Guptas, uh, the Gupta Empire, and there we go. So you know what happened after that. We were invaded, taken over, and the Gupta Empire has never, and Sindh has never come, become part of our land again. So as a result of this, these monuments over here would have been taken over by these Islamic invaders. One of that uh, was the um, Qutub Minar. The Qutub Minar has now been called the Qutub Minar, but it's not a Qutub Minar. We know that um, it, there are many writings about it. And until the 16th century, the Minar was not attributed to Qutub bin Aidak. Um, of so there are some readings here, and I'm going to read it to you. It should be noted that Feroz Shah Tughlaq repaired other monuments and mentions the correct names, uh, like Hauz e Shamsi, Hauz e Alai, Madrasa of Al Tamash, um, Sultan Jalal Uddin's tomb, and so on. Tariq e Feroz Shai, written by Sham e Siraj. Afif, however, refers to the Minar as the largest pillar of old Delhi, raised by Sultan Shamshuddin Atmash. Ibn Battuta was not sure who built this Minar, so all he wrote about the builder was, is it, from, is it the Minar from Firoz Shah? Babur in his memories, in his memoirs, mentions about this Minar as the Minar of Sultan Aluddin Kilji. This shows that even until the 16th century, the Minar was not attributed to Qutubuddin um, uh, Aibak. It was known uh, by names of Altamash, Kilji, Tughlaq, who we now know built and repaired portions of the Minar. Um, and here is the entrance gate of the Qutub Minar. It says translation in this uh, is a writing over there, script. The prophet on whom be mercy and peace on God has declared whoever erects a temple to the true God of the earth shall receive six such dwellings in paradise. The Minar, the building of the kings of kings, um, Shem Uddunya, uh, Din, now in peace and pardon, be his tomb protected and his place be assigned in heaven. Um, dash, 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 was injured by lightning in the reign of the exalted monarch, Sikandar, son of Belol. So may his power and empire last forever and reign be glorious. And therefore the slave Fateh Khan, the son of uh, Ali, the liberal of liberals, and the meritorious servants of the king repaired it according to the command. So, you see, there it doesn't make any sense. Um, the thirteenth, um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It does not fit. There are many names over here. There are many writings over here. It just does not fit. Um, it's called Altamash. It's called. Um, it's called many names on the Kilji Tughlaq Altamash. It doesn't fit. The names don't fit. This is originally built in a, in a Hindu complex, and it doesn't fit the bill. But this area was does not belong to the Islamic invaders. It existed. Uh, it was it, it it was controlled by the Tomar dynasty, as I said, uh, which. Tomar were a bunch were Rajput clans, and this Tomar dynasty were descendants of the Gupta, the Maurya, and the Gupta empires that then broke off. 
and that's why you have their monuments that are still there. Now, um, if you look at the Qutub Minar, you will also see something very similar in Afghanistan. Remember, I said bulk Afghanistan was part of the Gupta Empire. And one of the things that you'll find, and I'm going to ask you to go to my Facebook page, you will see uh, a minar in, um, you will see a minar that sits in Afghanistan, uh, not as great as the minar in, um, not as great as the minar, uh, the Kutub Minar, but it's still there, it's a minar. And it's got blue markings in right in the middle, okay, blue markings. Uh, of course, it's, it's given by, it now says it's an Islamic minar. Why is it an Islamic minar? Everyone says it's an Islamic minar because it's got Quranic writings on it. It doesn't mean it's an Islamic minar just because it's got Quranic writings. Anyone can do Quranic writings. Anyone can do any writings on it. It doesn't mean it belongs to Islam. Absolutely not. Uh, you can just add some stone on it and carve on it and it'll become Islamic. But of course, it's, this land has been in Islamic control for so long and they've convinced themselves that everything was built by them. They don't have any proof, but they say it's built by them. So the Qutub Minar, it says, oh, well, it's of course it's built by the Islamic uh, people, uh, just like the monument in, in Afghanistan. Um, but people, but that is not true. And I'm telling you why now. If you look at the minar, right in the middle, you have, okay, a blue, uh, a blue sort of um, layer in the middle where you have the Islamic writings. Why blue in the middle of nowhere? What is this art? Where have we seen this art before? Have we seen it anywhere? Uh, why is this... Um, why is it blue? I mean, it could be any color. Why blue? Now, go back to my Facebook page and you will see something else very, very important. Look at the Tomar Fort, okay, in Rajasthan. It's another fort built by the Tomar clan of the Rajputs. What do you see in the middle of this fort? I've put it there. The Tomar Fort has blue outer um, uh, paint, blue outer stones in, on one part of the fort. It's almost gone now because it's lost its shine. It's lost everything. No one's looking after it. So it's gone. But there you can still see blue stones, blue bricks in the Tomar Fort. Why does it match the, the Minar in Afghanistan, because both these, these areas were, uh, both these forts were built by Rajputs who were descendants of the Guptas who controlled these areas, who they themselves were descendants of the Maurya kingdoms. So this is all Maurya and Gupta um, influence architecture of this land, uh, architecture that existed was built by them and later the kingdoms came down in 550 after a massive volcanic eruption. The art is the same. The fortresses are pretty much built the same. And you can see the pillars, the minaret-like pillars in the Tomar Fort in Rajasthan. Um, and you can also go back and you will see very clearly 
it's the same type of uh, minaret that are in Afghanistan. So this minaret in Afghanistan, this minaret um, in Afghanistan is very much a Gupta, a Moria, Gupta um, influence and architecture. Later dynasties have come and added the Islamic inscriptions on it um, in the blue because it stands out very well from the surrounding areas. This is very, very... Uh, Rajput uh, Gupta type architecture and influence and now it's been lost the history behind this is lost the history the data behind this there's no proof no writing that this was built by um, and so I said show me how it was built if it was really built by them do they have any drawings do they have any uh, besides writing a history book do they have any drawings any architecture any uh, engineering papers no they have nothing so how can you say it belongs to you? Because you put an inscription later on kingdom that came? No, this is a Gupta area uh, minaret, my friend. A Gupta area minaret. Very important for you to understand. Very, very important. Because this is um, another monument. It, I think it's called a Jama monument. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Jama monument over here. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? I'm not sure if it's the Jama monument. Um, but yes, it is um, It is the minaret. Yes, it's the Jama monument. Um, and you also have another one which is built in the old Urgenj city in, in, uh, in Turkmenistan in the 11th century. But uh, these are minarets that have come out of... Um, the Gupta kingdoms and their influence in this area. What are they actually? Are they just minarets to call prayer? I mean, you can't go up there for so high and call the prayer. No one's going to listen to you down below. They are not. They are magnetic terminals, my friend. Very important magnetic terminals where uh, you have magnetic currents in these areas because they are all built near rivers and the, the the physio currents from below the areas are, are, are then carried up towards the minaret. They are used as, um, in, in one time, they would have been used as currents. You could have used, uh, you could have got electrical currents in these using the magnetic energy from the bottom of, of the area around. And then at one point when they lost their science, they would have used it as lighthouses for passerbys, for kingdoms, for boats going by, uh, very, very important for that. Um, and um, besides that, uh, yes, they were used as lighthouses. They're not used for prayer. They were later taken on by the Islamic kingdoms, but they would have never been used for uh, the Azan because it's too high to go up there. There were no loudspeakers in those days, so it's important. But these are not Islamic monuments. The, the Qutub Minar matches... Um, is built at a time, um, is built by uh, people in an area, okay, that was once part of the Rajput dynasty. These Rajputs were actually descendants from the Guptas and the Mauryas. You have the same type of architecture um, in um, the Tomar Fort. You have a minaret also in Afghanistan, which the architecture, the influence, the style matches the Rajput 
Tomar Fort, and all these are connected, built by the same people. So it's important for you to know this, important for you to spread the knowledge, research it. This is dharma, my friend. Gaining the knowledge is dharma. Uh, spreading the knowledge is dharma. Having the discussion is dharma. And I ask you to please go onto my Facebook page, Dalit is Hebrew. I'm going to post the links there and, I'm, and you can take a look at it. And I'm even going to post the links on the podcast. Once you have the information, then you can do your own history. You can do your own research and you can heal. On that note, I let you go. I thank you for your time. I wish you a great, great day. A lot of peace, a lot of dharma, and we will heal together. Cheers and stay safe.